Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on May 15th, Lord's Day Service. Our text this morning is Psalm 24. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those that dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity or sworn deceitfully, He shall receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those that seek him, who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let's pray. Our Father in God, as we come into your presence through the ascended Christ, We thank you for this privilege. We thank you for sending your Spirit and for the time we have to worship you. May we receive your words and be made whole. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. This is Ascension Sunday. The Lord's Day, on which we remember the ascension of the risen Christ to the right hand of God the Father, a little over 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. This psalm is the last in a series of three that represents, or three in a row, that represents the work of Christ on our behalf. Psalm 22 is a hymn of the suffering servant, beginning with the words quoted by Jesus, My God, my God, why have have you forsaken me? Jesus quoted those on the cross. It depicts the torment he would face physically and spiritually while he was suffering. Psalm 23 is a song of the shepherding Savior the one who leads us, having gone down to the valley of the shadow of death for us on our behalf, that he might ascend to God as a faithful high priest. Psalm 24 is a song of the ascended sovereign, the king who enters the gates of the most holy place on our behalf, but not only goes for us, but brings us with Him there. 
On first glance, the verses of Psalm 24 may seem disconnected. But there is a unifying message in this psalm. And that unifying message is this. Our king has conquered and leads us in his triumph. The backdrop for this passage is very likely 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. When the ark of God, which represents God's presence, was brought back to the tabernacle. I'm going to read that, beginning in verse, uh, 2 Samuel 6, verse 17. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had built for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, um, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed everyone to his house. The ark had been gone 20 years by the time 2 Samuel 6 takes place. First, it had been captured by the Philistines because they thought if we take away their ark, remember the ark is it's a, it's a symbol of God's presence. It's like a throne. And they said if we take away Israel's God's throne, then they can't defeat us anymore. But what they didn't know was that God's presence started defeating them in every city that they brought the ark to, there was destruction wrought on God's enemies. So, they got wise and they sent the ark back. But, the ark, for the rest of that time, it resided in the household of Abinadab, an Israelite. But in 2 Samuel 6, the ark was finally returned. David brought it home to the proper home, which was the tabernacle. So Israel had a celebration because now God has come home. He has come to the place that He called to be built, that He instructed Moses to build, the tabernacle, the tent, the place of God's presence. For us, though, God's presence is not just in the Old Testament, but in Jesus' coming in His life, His death, His resurrection, and now His ascension, He has returned to His rightful place. Now, I need to stop here and, and say this. So this morning we read Daniel 7 in our Scripture reading. And it would be easy to think when it talks about the Son of Man ascending that that means God has gone way up there. And we're way down here. Don't think of it like that. Because even though God, yes, Jesus did ascend, 
but the heavens are the realm that we may not see with our physical eyes, but it is just as present, just as real with us right now as the people you're sitting next to. In fact, it is more real than the people you are sitting next to. God Almighty reigns not from some far off planet. He reigns among His people today because there is a new tabernacle. There is a new temple. And it is the people of God. And He has promised where two or three are gathered in His name, He is not way off in the midst. He is there with His people in the midst. The good news that we read in Psalm 24 is that the King, our King, has returned to His throne and reigns over His people. That's why the ascension of Christ is good news. It's not just a historical fact that Jesus was with His people and He disappeared and we remember that He disappeared. The good news is that in His ascension, He is now with the Father reigning, interceding for us on our behalf. We can look at this psalm in, in, in three portions. It begins in verses 1 and 2 describing His ordering, our King's ordering of the world. He begins, the earth is the Lord's. Now we all know this. We know that He created everything. And we heard it so much we can, well, we can easily forget the importance of that. We forget how big that is. So let me ask you, have you ever created something yourself without the original pieces to do it with? Have you ever made anything? No. We are, as Tolkien would say, sub-creators. We take the gifts that God has given, we put them together, but we don't create the way that God does. But it's not just that He made a bunch of stuff. It's because, as He says in verse 2, He founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. To the Israelites and to all ancient peoples, the waters, the seas, were places of turmoil. That, the the ocean was a place you didn't go because the people who left the land and went to the ocean, if you left further from the land than you could see, you're probably not going to come back. They knew that it was the home of the great monster Leviathan. Now, of course, we're all very modern and we don't believe in those things, right? Well, Scripture talks about it. It says that the Leviathan, the great serpent, God made to play there. But that, that serpent represents something even more than just uh, uh, being a sea monster. It represents chaos, turmoil. When we read Genesis 1 verse 2, it says, darkness was upon the face 
of the waters. In the beginning, verse 1 says, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, and darkness was over the face of the waters. It doesn't just mean that there, that there wasn't light there. That Hebrew word means that there was tumult. There was disturbance beyond the way that we normally imagine disturbance. You know what it's like when there's so many loud noises going on around you and, and things are just totally falling apart. We know what that's like. Multiply that times a million and then we barely get an idea of what this primordial chaos was. But Jesus brought order in the midst of the chaos. What did He do? God said, Genesis 1-3, let there be light. He brings the order of the Word to the chaos and He establishes His world. He formed it. He formed all life. The earth does not belong to the serpent who tried to steal it. And even after God created the world, the serpent came in and tried to steal it. But we serve the God who brings order out of chaos. So Genesis 1 begins with a victory of the work of Almighty God over all and anything that would oppose it. And still, when you look around, if you look at the news or anything like that, or even sometimes if we look in our own house, it, it may feel like chaos reigns. When you have family situations that you can't put back together, when you have friends that you care about and you can't do anything to help. There are things that we want to restore, but we can't do it. It, it looks at times like evil prevails, but it doesn't. The same king, the divine warrior who brought order to a disordered cosmos brings order to our lives. You live in, the, you live in His world, not just the world. You live in God's world, the, the one that belongs to Him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness, everything else that's in it and those things that are not even in the earth, that are outside the earth. He owns that as well. No agent of wickedness can disrupt what God is doing. No one can overrule His plan. On the cross, He took all the evil that that same serpent who invaded at the beginning, who has continued to come at God and at His people throughout history, Jesus took all the evil that the serpent could dish out. He tried to overcome. Satan tried to overcome the righteous one, but Jesus absorbed the worst from the serpent and defanged him in his own domain. 
And in his resurrection began the process of restoring, of reordering the world again. And that is the privilege we have to live in right now. So when we begin with this psalm, we see that God has ordered the world. But then we see in verses 3 through 7, the people who belong to this great king. And this is where it can look like he just he takes a, a sharp turn away because he talks about God's work in establishing the world. And then he says, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? You say, where did that come from? Why, why is this transition here the way it is? Because not only does he create and order the world, he also has brought us along. The ascension is not just about Jesus going to God, but our going to Him as well. Jesus didn't leave us behind. He went to the Father to bring us to the Father. The King who brought order from chaos now calls forth an army. This army will ascend to God's holy hill, the place where God Himself abides. That's the destination. That's the purpose of life. We want to see the face of God. That's what everything that we do is about. The army will ascend the place where, where, where God reigns. So then the question is, who gets to be a part of this army? Well, thankfully, it is not based, he says, on your ability. It's not based on you passing a series of tests, and if you do enough, then you qualify to join. He does not demand you meet a standard and then accept you. He accepts you in Christ and then pulls you up to the standards that He calls you to. If you strive to follow your King, you will, you will follow Him to the presence of God. It's not about your ability, it's about your loyalty. The people of God are those who have clean hands he says, and a pure heart. That means they don't walk in sin. Their hearts are devoted solely to God. They have not given themselves to empty, shallow pursuits. They don't go after idols. They are single-minded. And their words are full of truth. They don't allow the lies in which we are, the lies that almost are a part of everything that we're involved in in life. We live in a sea of lies. That's the work of the enemy. He lies to us and He wants us to believe the lies. And if we are not aware of the lies that come, we will eventually just start to imbib those lies ourselves. But He said, the, the one who, whom God accepts does not swear deceitfully. 
And these are the people. This is the army who will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. This is not a call to perfection because no one except Jesus Himself is perfect. But it's a question of whom you will follow. The one whom you follow. The people of God must be loyal to Him above all. We're all going to fail. We're going to miss the mark. We're going to do things that need correction. That's why we come before Him regularly. That's why He puts us in a community of saints so that we can have constant adjustment, so that His Word can change us. Just like when you're driving. All of you know, if you're driving at times, no matter how good a driver you are, if you don't continually adjust that steering wheel, eventually you're going to have a wreck. The Christian life is a series of adjustments. And we can either adjust a little bit by a little bit, day by day, repenting daily, or we will have major adjustments that cause great heartache. It's not about your skill, your knowledge, or your talent. God does not choose you because you are a better person than another. He chooses you first and makes you all that you need to become so that you may be the person He has called you to be. Do you hear the grace in this? I hope you do. He takes you wherever you are. You may say, I have no gifts. I don't have anything that I can do to offer to God. Yes, you yield yourself. You say to Him, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. And He will. He will form things in you. He will show things to you that you can do, some of which you probably have never thought about. But He doesn't leave you behind. This army may look like a bunch of misfits on the outside. I mean, if you looked at the original disciples of Jesus, these were not, this was not a Roman legion. But they were people who were faithful. And then this holy army of 500 who began when Jesus ascended, the Lord used to set the destiny of nations. This is what happens when people give themselves to the work of God. When Joshua met the angel of the Lord, or he's called the captain of the army of the Lord in Joshua chapter 5, who's Jesus in the Old Testament, Joshua, his first response, because you know, Joshua didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to, to, to know that this was Jesus. So, Joshua's response was, he sees this captain and he said, are you on our side or are you on their side? Quietly hoping, please be on our side. The response was, I'm not on your side or on your enemy's side, but I'm the captain of the army of the Lord. In other words, I'm, Jesus told Joshua, I'm not following anybody. You follow me. 
That's good news. That's good news. Jesus comes to His people and says, not, you tell me where, what you want me to do, what, how you want me to go, and I'll give you... No, 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 no. He comes to us and He says, follow me. All we have to do is go. We follow. That's it. This is the message of this psalm. This is the generation of those who seek Him. And then, lastly, after we see the, the ordering work of the King and we see the people of the King, we see the ascension of the King. Verses 7 through 10. Two phrases that they, they repeat. I mean, you can tell that this is a hymn because... He repeats Himself. This is the chorus, essentially, in verses 7 through 10. So after considering the people that God uses, we now jump to the gates of the holy city, awaiting the arrival of the king in His temple. This is like a parade. And the people of God are waiting. If you, if you were ever a little kid, you ever as a little kid go to a parade? before it starts and you're waiting for it to start and you keep on waiting and then eventually way off in the distance you can see it started and they're coming this way and you hear the band playing and you see the decorations we don't have what used to be called ticker tape parades. When a famous war hero would return, probably the, the last major ticker tape parade I can think of was uh, General Douglas MacArthur when he returned from Asia after World War II. He, he was forced, for several reasons, uh, to, to come back a few years later and he was given a huge parade because he was used as a great general to lead our forces in the Pacific, overcoming an enemy that some questioned whether we could even compete with. Well, that's like this. They're waiting for the king to return. And when the ark arrived in Israel, as we read earlier, there was dancing, there was feasting, there was joy. The only people who had to fear this were the enemies of the king. So the psalmist commands, lift up your heads, O you gates. This is no time for sorrow. This is no time to be sad. And the disciples could have easily been sorrowful when Jesus was leaving because He had been resurrected and they were thrilled to see Him and He had taught them for 40 days, but now He's leaving. So they could have been tempted to be sad. But this is not a time for sadness because the very gates of the holy city were opening up. So the command is, raise your heads, lift up your heads, rejoice. Our Lord is returning to His proper habitation. He is called here the Lord, mighty in battle. Who is the King of glory? 
one of the greatest rhetorical questions in all of Scripture. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. The one who brought order to chaos before man is now the one who brings restoration to the world on His throne. That's something to rejoice in. When Jesus conquered sin and death, He, after He ascended, entered the most holy place for us. And we're told that He now reigns as a victorious King. In 1 Corinthians 15, 25, He shall reign until He has put all His enemies as His footstool. Until all His enemies are made His footstool. So how long is Jesus reigning? Until there's no last holdout. Incidentally, after World War II, when Japan surrendered on September the 6th, 1945, everyone thought, well, it's over. But still in some of the caves of those islands in the Philippines, the message didn't get to the soldiers who were hiding out, to some of the Japanese soldiers. So still, over the, the next several years, there would, there would be Japanese soldiers who would come out of hiding, and they would find out the war's over. Some of them were still ready to fight, even in the 1950s. The last Japanese soldier did not surrender in World War II until 1976. There are still holdouts. Well, the same is true here. The enemy still attempts to hold on to ground. But Jesus is reigning until all His enemies are put under His feet. Until all His enemies are made His footstool. He is a patient, faithful warrior. He fought for Israel in the Old Testament only to watch Israel turn and reject Him. He came to earth as a wanderer leading a small band of followers. Despised and rejected He was by His own people, yet He returned now to the Father's right hand as a victorious conqueror. He asked a question again. After He says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, in verse 9, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. That means the Lord of armies. His army includes angels and archangels. But not just angels and archangels, it includes men, women, boys, girls. We don't just stand back and watch. We've been made a part of this army and it is said again by Paul, we will one day judge angels. You listen to the Apostle John in Revelation, the saints of God reign with Him. We're not passive in this. He has made us together with Him kings and priests. We are commissioned. We are commissioned to walk in clean hands and a pure heart, to walk by faith, to minister grace to those who are around us, to train our children, to bless our neighbors, beginning with our households and then extending outward, to make the joy of God known everywhere we go to speak the truth, to represent the King 
Because he's not just a king. He is our king. He brings order to our lives from what would be turmoil. So people of God, this day, lift up your heads. Raise your banner. The King of glory has come to His throne. And He has called us to live before Him eternally to the glory and honor of God while His enemies are made His footstool. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You for the good news of the Gospel. We thank You that our Savior reigns. And now I pray that You would give us the grace and the strength to fulfill the commission given to Your church. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. <laughs>